Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. All right. So I, I just got off um, the podcast with my, our guest, uh, Josh Smith, and uh, my, my head's still spinning. <laughs> I'm trying to recover here. We talked about all things related to robots and AI. I, I guess I should give a little um, bio here of Josh. Josh is a theologian and pastor researching the ethics of AI and robotics. He's the co-chair of the Kirby Lang Center's Technology Hub and the author of the book we're going to talk about, Robot Theology, Old Questions Through New Media. Um, he got a PhD and uh, at Midwestern Seminary in, in uh, I think in St. Louis is where it's at. And uh, I, I don't know Josh. I just, I, I saw him, I saw his book. We connected on uh, social media and I said, dude, this looks interesting. Let's talk about it. And this was a fascinating conversation. Um, I asked a lot of stupid questions. We did get into some racy stuff. The last half when it comes to sex robots, um, that that's, I mean, that's a touchy sensitive category. And, uh, so if, if you're not ready for that, then, then just listen to the first half. And we talk a lot of stuff about, about a lot of stuff, not related to sex robots in the first half. So anyway, without further ado, my goodness, um, let's dive into this conversation with the one and only Dr. Josh Smith. Hi, hey friends. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I'm here with Josh Smith, uh, author of Robot Theology. So <laughs> I just want to say, all right, go. But, but, <laughs> but give us a background. Who are you? What do you do? And then what got you into wanting to understand robot theology and AI and this whole world that I, that I know hardly anything about? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Tell us about how you got into it and that'll take us, I'm sure in many different directions. Yeah. It's a kind of, it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um, so I'm from Mississippi and I'm Southern boy, uh, grew up here, been to other places, was in the military for a while. Um, but in high school I got into robotics, uh, programmed a little bit for the Nissan factory, uh, just up the road Well, I'm in Colorado today, but a throw from where I, I grew up. And, uh, yeah, I just got fascinated by the machinery um, it's just, it's just one of those things that you kind of either you're really freaked out by it or you embrace it and you, you're comfortable with it. And I guess I was. And so, yeah, I wanted to study that more. Um, but there wasn't any programs college wise that I could get into or afford. I had a really terrible GPA in, in high school. Uh, it was kind of a burnout and slacker. Um, so I joined the military, <laughs> so, um, I guess that was a logical thing to do. Is that where um, slackers go to the military? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a, it's a strange place. Um, but yeah, I, um, I, I joined because of the bonus money GI bill. And so I, I haven't paid for a single degree that I have. And mm -hmm. actually my wife, even her graduate school was paid for. Wow. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, I worked with some systems there that were semi-autonomous, defensive weapon systems, um, like a big R2-D2 robot with a 20-millimeter gun on the bottom of it. Um, really? So, I, so yeah, yeah. What, really, can you – semi-autonomous? And by the way, I'm, I might – I try not to do this, but I might have to. If I hear something yeah. that I don't quite understand, I might – jump in, cut you off real quick and have you define it. So I hope that doesn't destroy your train of thought, but semi-autonomous. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's a, it's a combination of human and, um, like human in the loop or on the loop. Um, so we're always basically the DOD policy is a human will always be in the loop. So it's not going to make a decision, even though it can use LIDAR, which is the, um, image reckoning system, um, that captures everything, um, it just looks like a big scope if you're familiar with rifles or anything like that. Yeah. And it could, it can engage the targets by itself, right? It didn't need the human operator. And so there are a, a bunch of us who sat in a room all day and watched screens and it would light up and say, Hey, I think this is a potential target. And then it would alert the operator. Hey, do you want to fire or not? And so that's what I mean. It didn't like the tracking systems and stuff were the autonomous part. Okay, if that makes sense. It's not like it made a decision by itself to engage. It's just, and even with 
as we get into more advanced in the conversation with AI and stuff, it's it's always these mathematical uh, evaluative decision making processes. Now that doesn't mean consciousness or anything like that. It's just right, it's sure. been programmed to recognize certain patterns. It's really good at that, and it does that. Um, and so that's so, about the extent of autonomy. So this R two D two with a machine gun, like you would say, here's a target, kind of. <laughs> punch a button and he's going to go and then you have to punch another button to actually shoot? Or do you just say, all right, there's a target, do your work. And you're kind of standing back, making sure R2 doesn't turn around and shoot the wrong person or something or. There, um, there's both systems. Um, so the ones that's used by uh, Israeli defense, they have some that will just loiter around. And so they go into the sky and they, they're all on their own, right? They, they decide when to engage and when to, you know, attack. Like it's, it's like a really drone attack. that's not actually being operated by somebody. It's just kind of doing yes. a circuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Ours were always piloted in a sense. Okay. So, um, and it's not just one human, right? There's multiple. So we had the Navy with us, like we're, not, we're kind of getting to the weeds now. Yeah. Um, we had the Navy with us and they would like, they would monitor the weapon system. We would monitor the weapon system. Um, and then there were, uh, it's just, there's so many different components to, it's not just one machine out on its own, you know, doing its own thing. There's there's always multiple humans that are evaluating its evaluation. So. Okay, okay. All right, so going back to your journey, so this is what you did in the military, then, then take us, take us uh, from there. Yeah, so um, I did my PhD at Midwestern um, in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and um, I've always been a sci-fi person, nerd, comic books, whatever. Um, huge Batman fan, but <clears throat> unrelated to that, I I was watching a couple different shows while I was doing uh, some potential research for class, and um, I wanted to do something on AI and robots, particularly around like what does it mean to be a person, what does it mean to be human, and so one of my professors said that would be really interesting because I'm really tired of reading the same papers over and over and over. <laughs> I said, so please do something. <laughs> and um, I really wanted to do like warfare, mechanized warfare and stuff like that. But he was like, eh, why don't, why don't you do like sex robots or something like that? I don't remember the, quite all the details of it, but it was, it was like I don't really want to do that research. But I did. And, and I'm grateful for it because it really it really pushed me not just in sexual ethics, but like, you know, when you think about shows like Westworld and um, the BBC Channel 4 series, uh, Humans, which is a better version, in my opinion. Um, You know, they're asking questions about what does it mean to be human? How do machines relate to God? Um, You know, they're asking questions about idolatry. They don't use that language, but that's what they're talking about. Um, And so I got into the literature, which is very broad and strange. and then I was like, man, there's there's not a very conservative theological perspective on these issues. Hmm. It's always like something either Buddhist or, um, you know, some crazy just kind of, you know, far left theologian who I respect. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, they haven't done the work or anything, but it's just not a conclusion that I would reach about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I wanted to do something faithful both to biblical theology and systematic theology and try to bring in my perspective of scripture and, you know, wrestle with the text, even though, no, the Bible doesn't talk about AI and robots, but it does talk about the the questions behind why we create some of those entities. Mm. And so that's what I tried to do in my work. And uh, I wrote a couple of papers on that and turned into my dissertation. And I finished that. I graduated in 2020 and went on to do some more research. And so I wanted to broaden it out more. And that's what led to this book with Wiffenstock. Um, so, yeah. Can, can you give us a, a, a somewhat of a brief, not too brief, but not too long summary of what is robot theology? Like you even said, like the scriptures don't speak directly to this, obviously, but it does give us principles through which we should evaluate these modern questions mm-hmm. and categories. I'm not even sure what modern questions or categories I'm supposed to ask. I mean, this is how <laughs> knew That's good. all of this is to me. Um, um, yeah, so, so give us a kind of one-on-one version of what how we should think. Yeah, well, for me, um, I always try to approach topics like I want to go to some texts in Scripture and try to figure out, okay, what is the underlying theme? What is the the theology that's being presented in the Bible? And then how do I apply that to you know systematic 
issues. Um, so what I did is, or what robot theology is, is just looking at robots AI from a biblical and theological perspective. That's what I mean by that. It's not. So I'm trying to make a, a category for it. Um, I'm not really quite sure where it fits. Um, yeah. I'm trying to take biblical theology because that's what I, that was my heart, you know, I'm an Old Testament guy and um, kind of marry that to some systematics, but not go straight towards systematic and just say, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not going to do any Bible. We're not going to do any um, ancient Near Eastern context or anything like that. So I try, I try to marry the two. I don't know if I do it well, uh, but I try to let, let the, the theology of the Bible um, kind of drive my conversation about uh, my theology of robots and and the extent of where that could go or can go. So okay. So what what are uh, what are some theological questions we need to be asking? Yeah, I think the biggest one right now is what does it mean to be human? Okay. And the AI ethics community is is picking up on this, and it's kind of coming from like what separates us from animals. Um, okay. like the moral consideration for animals. So the animal rights movement is very closely tied to the robot rights movement. And as far as like, no, it's not quite a human or a homo sapien, but maybe we should consider it morally. And so that's that's kind of where you have to start in a lot of ways with some of these conversations. Um, other issues that I address in the work is robots and racism. That's a big part of the literature. Robots um, and racism? Robot means... Yes, sir. How? I don't understand how those are related. Yeah. Okay. Um, so robot in the Czech means forced labor. Okay. So there's a long line of literature that looks at robots as a reimagined slave. Okay. So if you go back and there's several authors, uh, Gregory Hampton is a good one to look at. He wrote a, a small book on reimagining slaves. And he just looks at different movies, the animatrix um, series, if you're interested. Um, there's all these imageries of the black body, even Blade Runner. Like, huh. So the, the female, that you're not quite sure whether or not she's a robot or not, uh, she very much should have been a, a black woman. She should have been played by a black woman. Because <clears throat> the theory is that you know those in power can use other people's bodies as they please. Yeah. So if you think about slavery, chattel slavery, mm -hmm. that's what it is, right? It's an economically driven decision to to make someone less than, mm -hmm. to exploit them for economic reasons, uh, and to use this rationale. Well, they're not really like us. They're not really human. So it doesn't matter how we if we treat them as property. And and those arguments are very similar in the robot rights literature. It's robot. You, right. You okay. see it. Yeah. Yeah. So like there, there's an article and you can Google this, uh, robots should be slaves. <laughs> yes, that's the title of it. Okay. And, uh, that's the argument. And so if you, if you ask people in this field that are, and the people that have written on this are not white people. Okay. So it's not just a bunch of white guys who are like robots are like slaves, but this is how they're experiencing and, um, understanding how, they're imaged in science fiction uh, and even in, you know, modern cultivation of robots as, you know, a mammy. I mean, that's what Rosie was from the Jetsons, right? She was a mammy. And um, so there's there's many different examples of that. Um, and so even if you go all the way back to the 1920s with Karl Coppock's um, RUR, which is uh, Russell's Universal Robots, that's where we get the word robot from. It's about this question of would robots want to be their own masters? Would they want to be free or not? And he says, yes, they would want to be free. They eventually don't want to be slaves. And so the question is, should we make something to be for service? I So and I'm going to ask some stupid question. questions because I'm not obviously no, in okay. the loop. Um, it's so obvious that I I I I I it's I feel bad I feel like dumb asking it but like if um like there's no moral agency in a robot or no no like um if I made a baseball bat and I I use that baseball bat to hit balls with it is what's True. the difference between that and if I make a machine 
it has no conscious, no whatever, and use it to do whatever I want it to do. Uh, and well, yeah. yeah. I have another question about sex robots, but that's we're going to save that for a little bit. Because <laughs> um, oh, absolutely, yeah. no, that's a that's a good question. That's a good fair question. What am I missing? I is it just? It's obviously people... it's more intelligent. It's more intelligent than a baseball bat. But is intelligence even the right term? I don't know. Um, it's cooler. Yeah, than yeah. A no, that's good. Uh, a lot of a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people go there like it's just a tool, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't think twice about. You know, destroying a toaster or, uh, you know, if you wreck a car, you're not really destroying a living entity. And that's not quite the argument that okay. people are making. The argument is, you know, what does it do to the human? Because if you, for example, if we had a humanoid looking robot that we know absolutely 100% is not conscious, sentient, whatever you want to, excuse me, fill in the blank with, Okay, that really doesn't matter as much because you beating that robot in public would cause a disturbance, would it not? Hmm. Think about it now. You're talking about like a human looking, like if it looks human, which, but if it Mm -hmm. was like, Ah, oh, wait. Okay, sorry. I'm just my my wheels are turning and they're a little slow right now. <laughs> so so is it because there's some sort of connection some sort of personification that's attempted here of another human um i guess unless the robot looked like r2d2 or something i don't know like is that is that the issue because it because it could reshape how we think about the human that this robot is sort of mimicking like again so if i made a robot that looks very human painted it say a darker color a non-white human and then treated it like a slave in and of itself that would maybe raise questions, but it's it's more the, gosh, what signal is this sending? What is this doing to my own view of humans that this robot is trying to imitate or whatever? Yeah. Like that is that the? Yeah, yeah, okay. you're getting it. You got it. Okay, um, you're not far off. Um, <laughs> basically, and this is a Kantian principle that um, if a man kicks a dog, right, what does it say about the man? Okay, mm. and this definitely will get into sex robots later. But, you know, if we make an entity that looks like us, or even if, if we don't, there's been studies done. Uh, Kate Darling is a researcher at MIT who had these robotic dinosaurs, like very, hmm. you know, very yeah, unrealistic looking dinosaurs. And she did a study and, and gave people like an hour to play with them. And then after an hour, she said, OK, here's some hatchets. I want you to kill them. And they said no. Mm. So okay, well, either we kill one of them, you know. So you, as a group, decide we're going to kill one of them, or we're going to kill all of them. So you guys have to decide. And there was this very somber moment where, like, people were like emotionally impacted by having to kill this robot. And even with like bomb disposal robots, you know, they, there's been military funerals for these really? entities, people's uh, Roombas. Like a Roomba is definitely not in this moral consideration category at all, but um, people want the same Roomba that they had because it's like a part of their family. People name them. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Like it's, it's, it's not a bug in humanists to to care about um, artificial entities. I think it's it's put there by God that we huh. we we care about things because all things belong to God. And this is kind of where I go in my research is that. You say, well, what's the difference between kicking, you know, a stump or a fence post or whatever? Yeah. It's like, well, in my theology, that doesn't belong to me. It's never a product of my own. It, and everything, especially something that emulates emotion. Um, so we're talking about like social robots that um, things like um, Kismet, if, if you're interested, you can look that up. Um, there's robots that are made to treat autism. There's robots that are made to treat dementia. And so they elicit a very emotional response. And so it will cause moral harm to the user if you took that robot away. And even some parents who have used those robots to treat their kids with ASD have offered very high numbers to to keep those robots once they're taken away. And they they can't do it because it's not their property to sell. But um, so I think that's just a small snippet of the research that 
if you bring these entities into our lives, mm -hmm. I mean, just think about our cell phones. It does. It, cell phone can't wash the dishes. Cell phone can't, you know, interact with the kids. I mean, it can, but not in an embodied way. And, and once you bring embodiment into it, I think the emotional attachments are going to be deeper. Um, mm -hmm. I think the moral consideration that we give them will be a lot more complex. Um, but I also think the potential for harm is, is a lot greater. And so, you know, we need to really think about those those nuances there um, that, yes, it is a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely it is. But there's also an inframing that's happening, too. And, and it's how performing. We, we make, I mean, because I'm just thinking of a range of different kinds of inanimate objects. But yeah, robots are performing human functions, which again, doesn't accredit consciousness or any kind of intrinsic difference between let's say, human, animal, inanimate objects. I don't know, just categorizing it that sure. way. Like, um, it's, it would be inanimate. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not any morally different in and of itself as a rock, a stone, a building, um, but it's performing human functions. But is that is that a key difference? And also... Just from a, we shouldn't destroy creation arbitrarily for whatever reason, especially a product of human creativity. If I build a car using my creativity that I have because I possess God's image, I'm using things in God's creation that are fulfilling a certain design, and then I just bash the heck out of it for no reason. Like, I, I, I wouldn't put that on the same level of adultery, but I mean, it'd be like, well, that, that just doesn't, that kind of goes against the grain of mm -hmm. a creature trying to honor a creator in a world that he has been a place as a steward over to just arbitrarily destroy something. How am I thinking so far? Am I correct in yeah, the thoughts I, I've I said? Think, or uh, So, no, that, that's, those are good thoughts, man. Um, I think we get hung up on the sentience and the moral agency argument. Okay. Um, but there's also another side, um, the moral patiency huh. argument. And so it's, it's what's, like, what's that moral patiency? Like it can be, it could be an object of, um, so it can be an object of love or care. It can't. So a moral agent can, can do both, right? It can give love and care and it can receive love and care, but a moral patient is only oh, on the receiving yeah. end. So, huh. um, that's kind of where I go. And I talk about this more in the book, um, so we we kind of use that as an argument to say, okay, no, a robot, at least the ones that we have today, um, or an AI entity, no, it's not morally, um, it's not sentient, it's not the same as a human, right? Although in in a lot of people's anthropology and philosophy of mind, philosophy of science, they don't really make good arguments for why that's not the case, like why it couldn't be, um, and I think. Christian theology has a good answer to that, um, but that's a different line of thought. But anyway, you know, we kind of use that to say, look, they can't have, they can't have the same moral rights that we have as, mm -hmm. you know, natural creatures, whatever you want to fill in the blank with, where um, they have human dignity and respect. But maybe we should consider them as moral patients because um, it will potentially harm the moral agent if mm -hmm. I have a negative relationship to this entity, which is happening. Um, and we're not even talking about social robots yet. Um, you know, there's, there's a group of guys in Japan who, um, forego, you know, physical interactions with, um, embodied females because they have digital girlfriends so much. So, and everybody already knows that Japan's struggling with, um, you know, producing, another generation that's going to take care of the current generation. Um, but there's also other cases where people are abusing their AI chatbot girlfriends. So there's a, there's one called replica and it's very advanced. Um, it's an AI and you know, whether or not there's humans behind it or not, I don't know. But anyway, there's, there's a group of guys, um, and there's an article about it recently that are just intentionally abusing this entity. And that's completely okay, right? Mm. That's complete. There's no, there's no, you know, it's it's just like abusing a toaster, right? I mean, is that is that harmful or not? Should we allow that or not? You know, Which, should yeah, that be? Can you? I, what's your response to that? I mean, I given where we've been yeah. so far, I think I I'm 
getting it a little bit, but I would love to hear you say <laughs> yeah. it rather than me fumble around. No, I, I think like, I think because of what it might do to me in my own interactions with other humans, okay. and this is kind of the baseline argument here for me, from my perspective, is because of, you know, one, that's not a morally positive forming um, action, right? You shouldn't abuse anything, even if it's alive or not, even if it's a dog or whatever, um, because that's just not what you should do or ought to do. And so I don't, I don't necessarily have to believe that it's conscious or that it understands what's happening. Matter of fact, you know, we know most AI, even though it's very advanced and can make complicated mathematical decisions, it doesn't understand the answer that it gave. Okay. So it's not based on that. And I just think we can just throw that out. Let's just stop talking about those kinds of questions because just like Preston, I can't prove that, you know, you're morally conscious. I can't prove that, you know, I have a brain. So it's, you know, I can, some people would argue otherwise, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that we, we get stuck on. And, and so I think a lot of harm is going to happen to moral agents if we don't take some um, steps mm-hmm. towards policy regulation mm-hmm. and we can write moral statements all day long. And I'm, I'm all for that. But I think where theology needs to catch up, especially in this debate, is we need to be discussing this with people who are writing the policies to ensure like a solid, robust anthropology is going behind some of this because it's quite thin. It really is. Mm-hmm. When you when you look at some some of these computer scientists and it's not their fault. Right. Like I'm I'm here in Colorado this week to talk to, to engineers about this very subject. Mm-hmm. So where do you have in your pedigree? time to think about moral philosophy. Hmm. Like if you do have one, it's probably one course and it's like a crash course into philosophy. Um, and so there's this massive issue where we're, we're um, developing, creating, consuming, prosuming. Um, but we don't have a lot of time to really sit back and think like, hmm. okay, should I make this product? What are the implications of making it? Um, yeah, it might solve a societal need for the moment. Um, and this will get sex robots in a minute. Mm-hmm. But how is it also deforming people in the process? Yeah, that's right. That's and so, true. yeah, like it, it's a both and street for me. Like I think technology, robots, AI, they can have a very positive impact on our life. Mm-hmm. And I give very practical examples. Um, but it, it can also go too far, mm-hmm. right? If it's, if it's substitutionary and not supplemental. Mm. Um, and so we have to be very careful about crossing that line. And it's rather thin. Um, it's like a membrane at sometimes. Uh, Substitutional because, meaning these ro- social robots, I like that phrase, that that's, um, can become a supplement for other human beings rather than, or not, uh, uh, a substitute for other substitute. humans yeah. rather than a supplement that doesn't hinder our social um, beingness. I'm, I'm, my, yeah, I'm just, you've thrown me so many different categories. I feel like I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My, my, my vocabulary is like, has like 12 words in it. Anyway. Um, yeah, no, that's, 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 I could see that. And, uh, I, I could also, I, I, it makes sense that how you treat another object, whatever it is that is somehow substituting or even functioning as another human that will shape how you categorically treat and view other humans. Yeah. Um, right. And that does, gosh, um, I want to get into sex robots in it. Ah, I need to reword that. <laughs> well, I, want to, <laughs> I want to get there in a second. Um, I, I do have a nagging question though. That's, it's kind of, I guess, related to what we've been talking about. Is it, is it possible for AI to become so advanced that it cultivates something like emotions, maybe not consciousness, consciousness, but can an AI say in 50 years, hundred years get sad if you come home and don't talk to it and, you know, it asks mm. you how your day was and you're kind of rude to it. And, you know, kind of like how we are to yeah. Alexa, you know, Alexa, play this song. <laughs> no, not that one. Yeah. You dumb. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> is, is it possible for the that. mathematical preci- what we know? Cause I, understand, I, I do understand. Like, it's just, a bunch of ones and zeros just firing like crazy, right? Like it's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. doing the matrix thing. But after a while, can, can, is it possible that that could lead to actual emotions? Is that, I just had that question in my mind. I don't even know if that's the right question to ask, but. 
No, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I think to me, it's about your capacity for mystery. Like I want to tell people in these circles too, when we talk about this stuff, like I believe in a virgin birth, Mm. I believe in zombies I'm believing like resurrection, oh. you know? And so, I was gonna, um, I was gonna ask you, you know what I mean? Like, um, so to me, it's, it's not that like, I'm not going to say that God can't do anything that he wants. Like I don't, do I think like, humans are going to solve? No. Um, and I go back to like Ecclesiastes should be a, a primer reading for many technologists. Like if, if not all, like it, you need to understand like, one, you're not making anything new that God hadn't already placed in the world. You're you're just remixing minerals, chemicals, whatever. And and so, you know, if if God wants to allow that to happen, I think it it could as a judgment more than anything. Um, then sure, I think it's possible. Um, but like on a practical, you know, can like they're making robots to feel pain. Um, they are. Is that the whole? Yes. Um, Meaning, there are Japanese. Okay. Like, if you slapped a so, robot, it go ow or making. I mean, or what does that mean? Feel pain? Like sense pain. Like what should be uh, painful? So like you know, so that uh, somebody who's practicing dentistry could practice on a robot that might emulate real pain. Emulate in a real, patient. Okay. Yeah. You drill so too I, hard, I and mean, we go ah or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, you know. Or, yeah, if you slap it, I guess it has some type of emotion. And, you know, I think with pain, it, this kind of goes this, this goes really deep into philosophy, too. It kind of depends on your view of substances. Like, do you, do you believe in immaterial substances? Or, you know, mm-hmm. there's many Christians today who don't believe in that. And so pain is just a brain state. Mm-hmm. It's not a material substance, okay? So, um, one... Philosophically, it's possible that a robot could feel pain or emotion, um, just like it's possible for animals to feel it. And so how do we prove or disprove that, though? Like that's that's my question that I I can't answer is, you know, how do I how do you observe externally uh, an internal state? Mm -hmm. So you don't. And that's why when you go to the doctor, they're like they had that little chart of smiley to frowny faces. They're like, how do you feel? You know, like. They can't like put an electrode on your brain and say, well, he definitely feels this amount of, you know, pain. Um, now that there's like imaging that you could do that fires off, sure. But as far as like actually measuring the amount of pain. And so I think it's going to be similar to what we might see with robotics in the future. Um, and whether or not that's just calculus happening or if it's a real pain, I don't, I don't know how you would prove or disprove that. Do you see, I mean, is there any end to the development of AI? I mean, is, could we end up in a matrix like situation <laughs> where they take over the world or I, I don't know. Is that, I mean, is that what the question that every stupid person like me asks <laughs> yeah. or I mean, cause no, I mean, we, the, the advancement question. of technology just seems to be exponentially increasing and getting more and more and more and more advanced and more advanced. And again, if you, or is that not true? You, 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 no, no, it's, it's, it's true. Like, um, you know, as far as like stuff like Moore's law that you can look up where microchips, microprocessors are getting smaller. Yes. And so I think, I think there's some nuance to say whether or not we're, um, like getting exponentially better with that. So right. I think, yeah. you know, that, that's the question for me. Like there's, there's nothing new here. We're just making new combinations. And so okay. the stuff that's in the aircraft that I was on a few hours ago, it's not new technology. It's just repurposed, you know, mm. the turbines and all the other stuff is just repurposed. And so I think with AI and robots too, it, mm. they're so informed by science fiction, which I love, but science fiction is not where you go to get to the real math and yeah. science and philosophy here. Um, and it's a lot less sexy than what you see on television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody likes the the Boston dynamic stuff, but you don't see all the failure in that process and all the problems and yeah. calculations, like it's a, it's a big deal and it's very hard to make a robot that is similar to a toddler that can actually mm-hmm. not only un- understand emotional intelligence, um, but also like read the room, you know, manipulate you. And so I have a four year old and now he's kind of like testing the boundaries of things. You know, so I think, 
getting to that point, this should be more of, of what we're looking at. And there are some roboticists who are asking that question about children. Um, but like if it can blush, I think a, if it blushes, it, it definitely needs moral consideration because that's, that's a very complex thing. Like if it feels any type of shame or, you know, something like that or emotes in that way. I'm, I'm, yeah, I think well, it seems very possible that it can mimic human, human emotions like that blush. That's a sure. different phenomenon than when a human blushes, but it would like kind of what you said earlier, that's, that's, we are, we are going to be faced with another human, a, a thing functioning as a human acting, embodying the emotional state of a hu- human. So mm-hmm. if we said something shameful, they're going to give off that response. That's going to be eerily, eerily yeah. similar to, <laughs> Oh my word. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk about sex robots. And let, let me give a few caveats here. This is the one area I've, I've done a little. I mean, a little bit of research. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of caveats. Number one, this is this. I I, 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 this might be a little more like uncut, raw, whatever. Just because I think the nature of this conversation has to be. So if uh, if you need to turn off this episode now, then then feel free. Of course, that means everybody's going to turn it up louder. But um, and uh, I never want to be edgy for edgy's sake. So if I say something explicit, sure. or whatever, it's it's because these are I think are live questions. Okay, um, mm. I heard somewhere, uh, read somewhere, a sociologist that said, given the rate, there's two things happening: technology keeps advancing, mm-hmm. sexuality, or let's just say let's just let's just say porn. Or things like exposure to and a hunger for sexual satisfaction. The, as long as those things keep growing, which it doesn't sound like people are getting bored with porn. Or porn doesn't sound like people are like, ah, we're kind of done with technology. Let's stop advancing. Like as long as those thing, two things keep going, more people will be having sex with robots than with other human beings by 2050. This is by. I wish I, I wish I could mm. cite their article. I remember reading it by it's like a peer-reviewed journal or something like that. It wasn't like some yeah. Yeah. post, you know, New York Post or whatever, whatever that even means. But um, it, <laughs> it, it, anyway, that that's my setup. Have you? So, what do you know about this aspect of the conversation? Mm. And is there concern? Like, is that is that an, is that an accurate um, possibility that that whoever said that mm. is? Yeah, I mean. Um, one, there's a couple factors that would lead to that is the cost. So right now, I mean, you yeah. have people that are making them, uh, real doll, um, super expensive like people like harm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just not a practical thing to have mass yeah, use. And yeah. then, <laughs> Computers then, were expensive 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think once we get to that stage, um, I mean, but don't, don't get it wrong. Like people are buying these dolls and, um, and even there's brothels. Uh, across Europe and other places that have, they're not robots yet, but they have the silicone dolls. And, um, and so they're, they're very popular. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible for sure. It just, it just has to be the right cocktail circumstances. And, um, but really what that means is you're going to have handlers. (laughs) So people sometimes argue that it's going to, you know, uh, solve the problem of sex work. I'm like, well, no, because the sex robot's going to have to have somebody to handle it to make sure that it's, it's not, it doesn't violate the house rules, right? Um, I don't know any sex work that doesn't, you know, other than illegal, um, like prostitution and stuff that happens. But where it's legal um, in certain states, in certain places, you usually have some type of handler. So I would, I would imagine that that would be the case too with robots. Um, consent's an issue. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. If we value consent as a society, why is this okay? Like, why is why is forced torture or even rape, if you want to call it that? Um, so it kind of goes back to: Do you think that this is just a mere tool of masturbation, or do you think that this is an entity that might be morally forming? And I think it is. Well, absolutely, um, it's moral. Th- this is where it freaks me out: is several levels. One, I think this could. If that's true, if they become so, once they get cheaper, I mean, let's, let's just say the technology advances so much that it's almost indistinguishable, the sexual experience with a robot than with another human being with zero relational strings attached, right? (laughs) You can largely create this object of your sexual fantasy 
in whatever way you want, the experience is going to be almost just almost the same. Um, maybe. Okay. Um, and let's just say that that's a hundred dollars and there's more. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would be disastrous for human sexuality. We've already seen this uh, in a glimpse of this with porn with guys 20 years old that are on erectile dysfunction mm-hmm. medication because they can't, they don't know how to mm-hmm. have sex with a real human. Um, it, I think it would be mm-hmm. disastrous for human sexuality. And I think it would lead to, and I possibly lead to a tremendous amount of harm toward other actual women and children. Because yeah. like you said, it's going to yeah. morally form, and we know from porn getting more hardcore, more violent, that this will probably have that same trajectory where it's not going to be just this oh, imitation sure. of a consensual sexual relationship. There's going to be probably a rise in BDSM type stuff and then more mm-hmm. rapey kind of stuff. Um, and then that's can only have a negative moral formation on people. It really does, because because we have not the church has not succeeded with something like porn i mean mm. how many christians pastors are not you know periodical use habitual use or even addictive use where I, i've talked to kids who go to summer camp and they're like going through medical like physical physiological withdrawals mm. because they haven't looked at porn wow. in three days you know this is this is not uncommon so and you know we keep preaching sermons on you know reading your Bible every, whatever, whatever. Like, I feel like we, we, whatever we're doing, we're not discipling people well in what c- is leading to some yeah. catastrophe on our human nature times that by a thousand with sex robots. It, it's, I'm not a fear kind of driven person, but this really freaks me out. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting, man. Like, but I think if you, if you look at the creators, I know it sounds crazy, but just, just give them a little bit of benefit of doubt here. <laughs> Um, because I've, I've listened to some of these guys okay. and I, I don't think they're crazy. Okay. How, and, and I think many, um, so there's a YouTube channel called soft white underbelly. It is a, uh, crash course in empathy. It's all about sex workers, um, uh, addicts, you know, homeless people in, uh, on skid row. But you, you listen to all their stories and you know, like some of them feel like they are a therapist. They really do. And I've heard, um, I won't say her name because I don't want to trigger anybody, but I've heard one porn actress say that she, she very much sees her work as therapy and these men that will come to her and pay, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of video, like pay for, you know, interactions with her. Um, they, they feel like it's, it's a a morally forming thing in a good way. And so when I got into the research, there's a massive amount of, of scientists and, um, and others philosophers who are like, maybe we could treat the social pariahs of our day. So, and I talk about this in my dissertation. I know it's weird. Uh, we think about pedophilia. Okay. Like the thought of making a childlike sex doll, which there are, um, especially in Japan and then saying that we're going to treat, they are making these, this is a thing like this in Japan, they're making this is thing. They, they don't call them childlike, um, but I've seen videos of the factories where it'll make you cry, man. It'll make you cry. Oh. You, you know what it is. And I have a, I have a seven-year-old daughter. I'm like, that, that is disgusting. Anyway, um, they, the theory is that they're providing a social good and reprieve for some of these um, feelings. And even for the – LGBTQ plus community. There is a paper that came out that I'm very critical of because I think it's really offensive to that community that says this is a form of treatment for that. Oh, wow. I was like, just think about what you just said. Like, you know, um, yeah. and this is, this is from a feminist perspective, um, new materialist perspective that just, we don't have to get into that. But I'm like, you know, Maybe there are other ways to approach it other than, hey, let's just give it a, an entity to have sex with. Um, and there are other things like – but at the same time, on the, on the other side of the coin, like at least they're trying to do something. Like they're trying to provide a social good. It's like yeah, well, so So the way, I, the way I've seen it framed is like – and again, this – I it's – I'm thinking out loud here. So if I use words that, that, that aren't as precise, I mean, we're dealing with really sensitive stuff here. So again, if, mm. if even, 
if any yeah. of this is like really unhelpful or triggering, then I, I encourage you not to listen to this. But it's it, these are going to be real questions we're going to need to wrestle with. So one of the more arguments I've heard is, yeah, you have um, people who are like like pedophiles or people who are rapists, whatever. Like if you give them a outlet to f- with these robots, it it will reduce the number of actual human on human rape or adult on child abuse, rape, whatever. Um, and you you know who first. <laughs> You know who first used an argument like this? You might know it. St. Augustine. St. Augustine says, I am morally against the brothels, but we need need them. Otherwise, can you imagine a world without brothels? Mm There would be a lot more rape and adultery and all these things. I just came across that a couple days ago. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the same kind of moral arguments that we see in in this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't... um, First of all, we'd have to ask the question, is that even an ethical way of thinking? Secondly, the prag, which is, I think the answer is no. Given imitation of something Mm -hmm. like rape as an out, like that doesn't, to me, the logic of that is, is, is horrendous really. But, um, (laughs) but also just practically, like you said, in like acting on, like you, you're still morally forming and forging this, desire and behavior in the human rather than trying to minimize it or steer it away. Like you are not moving towards the image of God in this person. You are moving very much away from that. So yeah, I I don't think the argument holds water, but we need to be prepared for what could feel like convincing moral arguments to justify something like this. But Yeah. It's almost got like a a liberation uh, feel to it. Like we're, providing an avenue to liberate these people from an oppression. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I push back against that and say, well, you know, is it, are you liberating them? What are you liberating them to? Mm, and from what? Like, it's, And so, um, and that's not, that's Roger Scruton. That's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but his book, Sexual Desire, um, it oh, really yeah. explores some of those, those questions um, that I, I kind of build off of in, in my critique of this treatment for pedophiles and but at the same time like there are two places in the world who are trying to to help you know 300,000 plus people who struggle with child like you know attraction to children yeah and like there there are legitimate options I think that go so much easier than giving a robot you know chemical castration is one um, it's just been proven to to work. Um, and if you just for, look at the science of it. For people with pedophiliac desires, chemical castration, which can you explain what that that is? Yeah, it's basically an implant that takes away uh, testosterone, I believe. Like it, it just cuts it down basically. So um, and there, there's a, a documentary on Amazon Prime that talks about it. it's like it's called iPedophile, I believe. There's a couple of ones. And it's it's from it's very graphic, uh, but it interviews real pedophiles um, and their struggle and their conversation with it, and um, and their dialogue with hmm. potentially being castrated. Um, so it's not like an actual castration. No, it's no, just no. Yeah, chemical. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it just reduces. It basically reduces your your, your sex drive, drive yeah. t- towards I guess more of an asexual whatever. And and this would be something that would be chosen because most so. The science behind even pedophilia is that it, it is a – I hate even well, – I don't love – sometimes we think orientation is like a neutral category and we typically only use right. it of same-sex attractive people. Um, but if you take the actual category of orientation, there's many – there's a range of sexual orientations of people who experience unchosen, sometimes unwanted – Mm-hmm. sexual desires that um, yeah. feel very innate, maybe even have some biological basis that for the lifespan in most cases do not change. If we take that understanding sexual orientation, yeah. um, there's, there's, there are age orientations, there are sexual orientations, there are, you know, many, even like racial sometimes, or yep. some people have tried to talk about, I, I don't know how legitimate that is. Polyamory has been trying to, um, there was an article in 2011 in a peer-reviewed journal arguing that polyamory is is mm-hmm. in the category of a sexual orientation. So, um, so when it comes to pedof- pedophiles, is that 
yeah, we'll just say that people with yeah. an attraction to younger people, um, it very it very much fits that category of of un, unchosen, yeah. oftentimes unwanted, um, oftentimes is with that struggle is with them for yes. for life. Um, Mm-hmm. So anyway, so so you're saying chemical castration is something that they might say, I hate this about myself. I don't want this. I would rather not have any sexual desire than this sexual desire. And so yes. that's happening now. Yeah. And you you listen to their stories. You know, there's no societal benefit to them. They can't even self-identify as, you know, I mean, what they're immediately put on a blacklist. They're immediately, you know, cut out from certain communities and and they're just trying to get help in some cases. And so what happens is they go to the, the dark net. They go to, mm. you know, places like, I won't mention it for triggers, but, you know, free sites yeah. that have recently been, you know, very complicit in that genre. And so, I mean, I just think local as a local church entity, um, we just we just haven't served mm-hmm. that community at all. And nobody wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, some people can't, I mean, legally, I don't know. Some people can talk about it, mm. but so that all kind of goes back to like why people would make these yeah. robots and, and that's just not just for, for sex robots, but for, um, you know, war robots and for, um, worker robots and stuff. It's, it's all about, I think an economic driven need or societal need, mm. Um, that drives this. And so that's why it's not going away. It's not just a bunch of nerds like me in a lab who's just like, what, what can we make? You know, it's, it's big, big companies, um, government entities that from the very beginning in the 1950s have really pushed this forward. Not, not sex robots, but like, oh. you know, the, the stuff that we see that yeah. has led to um, the developments that we have in AI mm-hmm. and, and AI-driven robots that is steeped in, in military funding, um, places like DARPA, um, Department of Defense. And so I'm very critical of those entities uh, because the problems that we're facing now started back in 1956. Um, I mean, there's other issues that started with the fall, obviously, but um, this idolatrous desire to transcend our limitations, to, to profit, of um, people's sexual brokenness to to profit off you know our our need to consume and feel what we feel is hollow um that's that's what it's about man i mean and you know we have to have to we if anybody can speak into that it's the theological community who yeah that's kind of it's a brave new world right it's um what's his face um uh amusing ourselves to death who's that guy um Postman. Postman. Yeah. Postman. I mean, he talked about that. Like that you just, we have these desires, these cravings. We are all, um, as Dostoevsky said, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're all, um, Dimitri at heart. We're all sensuous, you know, like mm. we all have that yeah. uh, Dimitri in us. Um, I just got done with brothers Karamazov a couple months yeah. ago. And, um, and like, if you just stuff us full of, our sensuality, we end up in the brave new world, right? Like just numb to everything else. And that, that's why I, I love that you're the way you're thinking through it on an ethical level is so much richer and thoughtful than just these kind of like real surfacey is this right or wrong, like talking about moral formation and, and how this affects how we interact in society and treat other people. And is it moving us deeper into the image of God or further away from it? Is it, are we going mm. with the grain of the universe as Harwas said, or, or against mm. the grain of the universe? And th- these are more broad, really important categories that sometimes we don't apply to these weird things you're talking about, man. <laughs> what else you got? You got- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good, man. I, I think, you know, um, I know we don't like Heidegger um, because of his affiliation with the Nazis, but I think, he can really help some Christians, if I could say this, you know, rethink about technology because we're so driven by uh, just one side of it, like where we started in our conversation, like the tool is just an instrument. Yeah. And, but it's, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not that because it's also, it transforms with me. And so um, I'm writing on violent technology right now. Mm. And I was thinking about The Rock or whatever that, 
you know, Cain used to, to kill Abel. Mm. You know, it's, it's a neutral amoral object until you pick it up and bash somebody's head in with it. And now it is a murder weapon, you know, mm. like it, it transforms with us. And that starts in our heart. That starts in our mind. Mm. It starts with a theology. It starts with idolatry and all those things working together. So it's both of those things combining and then us making other entities and creatures in our image and hoping and praying that um, it, it has some morally good outcome. But I think to, to end on a positive note, like it, it can be a, a mutually beneficial thing to society mm-hmm. to, to use this technology. And I think there's a lot of great things that are being done in the medical field, um, especially with like autism and, and that treatment. Like these robots are just, some of them are made, they're not Terminator, right? They're like cute little bears and stuff like that, you know? Like that's that's the kind of stuff the church should get behind, and that's yeah. the kind of stuff we should support and, and lift up, and um, and and be more critical of the military enterprise, mm-hmm. which we're not. Um, so we could do a whole podcast on <laughs> on my issues with our acceptance of drones and like even just the rhetoric of like you know we need to use this and like that's that's a very dehumanized way to to hurt and kill the enemy, and oftentimes women and children. Thousands yeah. of women and children. We're we're so. I mean, when I peeked behind that curtain several years ago, I was like, "Oh my yeah. word!" The stuff. How many people? Mm-hmm. How many innocent kids have died from drone attacks and stuff that you just don't hear about? At least I don't. Maybe I'm listening to the wrong news channel. I don't know. Um, even thing like you know, going back, like I. Yeah, you know, or even the gun debate. Okay, I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. I've got a couple minutes left. <laughs> I don't open up that, but I just. To say that a gun is simply a neutral object, it's the person using it that's the problem. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I think that underestimates, to use your phrase again, the moral f- f- formation, the potential moral formation or even psychological formation that inanimate objects can have. And I, I anecdotally, I can speak to this. I remember, um, and I think I've told this story mm-hmm. before, so I won't, won't belabor the point, but, um, well, two instances actually. One, when I was in, idiot 19 year old pre-christ me and my buddies we drove to vegas one day and i took my gun i had 22 okay he just shoot gun shoot squirrels with it took my 22 and all of a sudden we got in some car chase like somebody was like yelling you know whatever and we're a bunch of testosterone amped up athletes you know i had a buddy with me that you know he made the rock look small you know so we, we all this just we're raging you know and i got this gun in the back and i literally started crawling in the back seat and i felt to this day this is 40 25 years i could feel mm. the power coursing through my veins because mm-hmm. i had a weapon if i didn't have that weapon i would have said dude let's get out of here i don't know who these guys but i had a weapon i was like bring it mm-hmm. on you know i was like it just welled up <laughs> in me this completely different posture um a couple years ago we do a lot of hiking here in Idaho and we got these gray wolves in, in Idaho. Mm. Um, most animals in the woods run from you. Bears, they run from you. Foxes, well, foxes aren't going to attack you, but um, wolves don't. They check you out. They'll pay, they'll just kind of mm. trot along mm-hmm. looking at you like, what, what are you up to, man? What do you think? You know, they're not, it, it's, you go hiking in the deep woods and it's pretty scary. So I got a handgun in self, mm. to, to, not to shoot yeah. people. If you broke into my home, it would <laughs> yeah, be physically yeah. impossible for me to kill you with my handgun. So no, it's not, you know, um, but I take it hiking in the deep woods just in case, yeah. you know, for I'll shoot a wolf if it's trying to kill me and then I'll eat it, you know. Um, but I remember driving, like <laughs> buying the handgun and driving home and I felt that sensation. I, I believe in nonviolence. Okay. So I was like, I would never, yeah. but I felt this even driving around, like just kind of looking at people like, what, what are you looking at, man? Like, you know, like <laughs> it, it just, it, it formed, it, it, it didn't have a neutral mm-hmm. effect on my posture, even though I'm committed to not using it on another person, no matter what, like, it's not like, yeah. I do think. And this is everything you're saying, right? I think we do underestimate the power of inanimate, inanimate objects for moral formation. Mm. That's all I'm trying to say. Yes. That's a good, good word, man. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I don't want to take the last word, but I do have to go, and I've taken you an hour. Um, the book is uh, Robot Theology. What, what, the subtitle is Old Questions Through New Media. Just came out a month ago, at least at the time of this recording. Just, yeah. Um, so I would, if you're 
I mean, there. I, I would imagine there's not a whole lot out there that would compete with this book. I haven't come across a lot of Christian <laughs> approaches to robot theology, but uh, I would encourage everybody yeah. to check it out if this podcast has been interesting. Uh, Josh, I've learned a ton in, in this conversation. Oh, thanks. Um, so thank you for taking us on a unpredictable um, journey. Yeah. Well, thanks, Preston. Appreciate it, man.